The scripture reading is Romans 1, 1 through 8. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the good news of God, which he promised before uh, through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the offspring of David according to the flesh, who was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we received grace and the office of apostle for obedience of faith among all the nations for his namesake, among whom you are also called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he is the author. Uh, there's a debate over it because people look at writing styles. And if you looked at the writing style of the book of the, of the person of uh, Romans, you know it's Paul. He repeats over and over again. Does anybody, just out of curiosity, does anybody know one of the major themes of uh, Romans? Just one. There are many themes, but one of the major ones. Anybody? It's righteousness. It's what one of the themes are. And, and he explains what righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Okay? He, it's not righteousness through the law. Matter of fact, he... He teaches against the law, which upsets a lot of people today. In our society, everybody loves the law more than they do righteousness. Did you know that? They love the law more than righteousness. But he preaches against the law, and he preaches about righteousness. And righteousness, did you know that the key ingredient in righteousness is relationship? Because without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no righteousness. And no matter what you do without the relationship, the righteousness cannot happen to you. Righteousness happens to you and me. Okay, so that's one of the major themes. And he talks about it over and over again. I'm excited for the rest of chapter 1, and I'm excited about chapter 6 and 5. I'm really excited about 8, and I love uh, the, the 15, I just... I'm excited to teach about it. That's why it won't take me two years, because I want to get to the next one. Okay, the next truth. Paul's the author. Now, most of Paul's epistles, and no matter what anybody says, this is a letter that is written to a very young church in Rome. You all understand that Rome had no idea what a church was. They had no eye concept of what a relationship in brother and sisterhood in Christ was. Rome had no concept of righteousness. There was, there was nothing in Rome that was righteous. Okay, Remember the gladiator and they talked about Rome in the... Do you all watch that movie, The Gladiator? If you don't like gore you probably didn't watch it but they talked about the honor of rome through but they never talked about righteousness matter of fact if you watch the movie it was full of unrighteousness and and treachery and violence and and there was no righteousness that was talked about in that movie but paul talks about it here 
So most of his introductions is three or four verses at most. Here, there's seven. And there's a reason why, because out of the seven verses, the first six are talking about who Paul is, who is the author. First, you need to understand that Paul was a Jew in a Gentile capital of the world. He is a Jewish person in the in the Gentile capital of the world. Rome was pagan and proud of it. Rome, did you know they had vomitorians in Rome? Do you know what that is? A vomitorium is where it's like a, a, a golden corral. You ever been? Okay, the difference between golden corral and the vomitoriums was you could eat the best food prepared by the best people, uh, cooks in, in the Roman Empire, and people would come and they would enjoy it. The rich and famous and wealthy would go there. And they loved to eat so much that they, when they were full and they couldn't eat, you ever say, oh, I'm full, I can't eat anymore? And you, you'd say, oh, let me wait uh, an hour and I'll go have dessert then? Okay. Well, they would go to a room off of this restaurant and they had ostrich feathers, and they stuck them down their throat, and they threw up what was in their stomach, and then they went and ate again. And some people repeated that. This went, went, this went on in Rome. Look it up. I'm not kidding. That's, that's the way it was. And they were, they were very artistic. There were art galleries in Rome. All of them have been destroyed. There were libraries in Rome where you could go and do study, intellectual study and research in Rome. And there were theaters in Rome. And when you read the history of Christianity books, uh, they don't tell you what the theaters were like. They were very violent. People got killed on stage. And they were very pornographic. Very pornographic. The, the theaters in Rome were pagan at their worst. They were a spiritual people, just like America. Only their spirituality was around uh, prostitution, male, female, child, and infant prostitution. That's what it was in Rome. Do the research. And Rome was philosophical as well. They prided themselves on being very philosophical. And all that they approached was from a point of reason. Socrates taught there, Aristotle, others, Plato, all taught in Rome. This is the kind of people there were. Matter of fact, Aristotle, I think it was Aristotle, I could be wrong, but I, I, if my mind's working, and sometimes it doesn't. He, he was so serious about his philosophy of life that he came to a conclusion. And remember when Paul was teaching in Acts at Mars Hill and they were talking about all the gods and, and Paul talked about how they were very spiritual and how they, they, they worshipped all these 
unknown, all these gods that they knew their name. They, they had the name of a god. And there was a statue and there were people who would go worship. He said, look at this statue that you've got at the bottom of it inscribed unknown god. It was in Greek, though you all know that. Well, Aristotle, I think it was, who came to the conclusion that the universe, he came to this philosophical, not spiritual, I believe it was spiritual motivated, but he came to this philosophical view that that he stood in front of this, I believe they said he stood in front of this statue and he said, I believe that there is only one God who created all the universe because of everything that I can study about the universe, there was a God. And there's only one God, and he's in control of everything that happens. They killed him on the spot. Because pagans are like that. They destroy truth so that the lies they live can be lived in. That's, we're talking about Rome now. I mean, that's who this epistle was written to. Paul was Jewish. Jews were hated then just like they are now. It's no different. The world hasn't changed. It's just becoming more and more evident. So Paul is defining who he is because he has a group of people who have given their life to Christ who have no idea what righteousness is and do not know what the divinity of God is, and they have no understanding of this sovereign creator of the universe who has just given them freedom from the burdens that they have lived in all of their pagan life. Okay? That's who this letter is written to. And Paul is defining who he is because he wants them to know exactly who it is that is teaching them and why he is teaching them these truths about this living God. Because he claims that, these, that, that God is living where, where they knew that their gods didn't answer their prayers. And they're going to have prayers answered. And they're going to have to understand who it is that's answering them. Now, I draw a conclusion from this and have for several years, many years, that um, New York is a pagan city like uh, uh, Las Vegas is a pagan city. Are there Christians? Yeah, there are Christians in Rome. There's Christians in New York. Christians in Los Angeles, Seattle. Phoenix, San Francisco, Chicago. What's that city in Louisiana, New Orleans? What'd you say? New Orleans. New Orleans. I like that. I like. Way to go. Yeah, Houston, Texas. Any any city that has almost a million people or a million people or more. It's pagan in our in our country. You need to understand that. All you got to do is look at the artwork in the art galleries, look at the movies they make, look at the be- the books that they write, 
Look at the topics they choose to, to put in these books. Look at how they teach their children. Look what they allow to happen to their children. All, all of this behavior, which we think as Christians is really horrible, all of it is pagan in its nature and there's no belief in God. And that's the way it is. You need to understand it. And the reason you need to understand it is because like the Romans who were Gentiles, and we didn't get to that yet, but we're at war. And we're not at war against thought. We're against war that is spiritual in nature. And the war that we're fighting depends every day on the eternity of human beings that you work and live with. There are people out there who have believed all the information that has been given to them in a false way that is destroying their lives, but they're happy. Why? Because the philosophy of Rome was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That's the philosophy of Rome. That's the philosophy of Winchester, Clark County. And so our children have embraced that philosophy and they pursue sexual uh, encounters and they pursue uh, 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 drug addiction and alcohol and they're told over and over again, there's nothing wrong with it. Experiment. God intended you to do that. That's a philosophy. That's not a truth. You, you, you with me? That, so we're just like Rome. And unfortunately... The Roman church, which was pagan, and then they come to know the Lord. The Roman church is just like the church in America right now. The church is saved, but it does not understand its power and authority. Hello? The church is saved, but it does not understand its power and authority. I'm not talking about Pentecostalism. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm talking about righteousness. Now, let's look at this and see why I say that it's righteousness. Okay. Paul, Paul says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. So they're saying that he, he wants them to know that he represents Jesus Christ because these people gave their life to God based upon the death and resurrection of this man, which is God, who is called Jesus Christ. So, so the, these men understand that this, this man named Paul is representing that man that died, that forgave them of their sin, that brought to them the reality of peace, where there was chaos and disorder in their life before. So I'm Paul. Who, who represent Jesus Christ. I'm a servant. By the way, the Romans understood servanthood. They knew what slavery was, and, and a servant did whatever the master said. And so these people say, okay, we'll watch. We'll see if, if Paul does what the master says and what happens when he does it. That's what's going on here. See, there's a lot between the lines you need to understand. 
a servant of Jesus Christ called, and that means this Jesus, that he's a servant, called him to be an apostle. I just want to say one thing at this point. I, I want to dispense um, what I believe is a, a fallacy. And there are a lot of people out there today who say they're Apostle John or Mike or Sam or Harry or, or whatever they call themselves. And when you say, well, well, in the scripture, an apostle has seen bodily the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, oh, no, that's, that's time past. That's not now. I'm, I'm an apostle. And you say, well, how, how do you, how you know? Because God called me to be an apostle. And I'm telling you right now, does anybody know where, where Paul saw Jesus at bodily? Anybody? Did I, I woke you up, Andy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where did Paul see Jesus Christ bodily? On the Damascus Road. Knocked him off his horse. Had a face-to-face con- confrontation right there with God. Right there. Let me tell you, if if... If Jesus, out of time, could go to the Damascus Road and knock Paul off so that Paul could see him, he could knock me or you or him or them off. And you could see Jesus if, if he wanted you to, if he's calling you to be apostle. An apostle was a person who preached the truth and started churches in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. And we study in history the churches, and the missionary journey of Paul. There are two, three of them, depending on who you read. So he saw Jesus. Now I want to know, there's a change here that Paul says in that pastor that passage. It says, an apostle and set apart for the gospel of, not Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of God. Everywhere else, he talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of God. He is establishing a divine head, and that's God the Father. And he is letting them know that God the Father has sent this man who is God, he sent him, Jesus Christ, to bring the good news that came from the Father to the Son and from the Son to them. And he's setting up a a spiritual headship. Why do you think so many philosophies today and peoples say, oh, there is no God? Well, because they're pagans. Whether they have a degree in Bible or not, if they say they question the existence of God, you're a pagan. No amens? That's all there is to it. What'd you say? (laughs) No. So, So that's what's going on here. And he's saying, this is the good news that God the Father has sent to the Son. And he is called the Son. And now the Son has called me. That's what's going on. God, Jesus, Paul. Now, let's go on. It doesn't stop there. 
The gospel he promised beforehand. Do you realize when he gave the initial promise? Does anybody know when the initial promise of God was given? Book of Genesis chapter 3. When man fell. He promised to crush the head of Satan and bring freedom to people. In Genesis chapter 3. You with me? He says not only that, the prophets spoke to it. About all through history. That's what he says in the next verse. All through history. This book is so important. Because see, here's the pagans. Right here they are. In Rome. They've given their heart to the Lord. And Paul was teaching them the truth. To move them intellectually. Emotionally. And by their will. To the righteousness of Christ. Away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Once they're saved, power of death and sin is broken. But the, the life of a pagan needs to be transformed into the image of Christ. Right here is the cross. Let's just say this is a cross. Doesn't that look like a cross, Jesus? Okay. These pagans lived in such darkness... That they didn't understand what divinity was. And they had a convoluted, mixed up, philosophical view of what a divine entity was. And they lived in darkness and they wandered around in darkness. And it says in Isaiah that there was a light that shined to the people in darkness. That's, that's the pagans. The Jews had... Signs given to them all the time. And when they saw it, they saw a great light. And so that's what he's doing. That's what Romans is all about. Shyness, light, and darkness. Now you got to be careful. I may go too long. So somebody say something. I'm serious. It could go on for two years. So... <laughs> So, so Paul had embraced, God had called him to teach the Roman people who were pagans, to teach the Roman people in, in Winchester, in Clark County, who were pagans, to see the light way down there. It takes a long time when you're in darkness to walk towards the light. You may see the light. You may even embrace the light. And you may have the peace of the light. But you may not understand the light. And that's what Romans does to the, to the pagan people. You and I still have questions about God. We may have known God all of our life. But there's still things we don't understand. It doesn't mean that we're not saved if we have questions. It means we're still pursuing this God that saved us. The Holy Scriptures have been revealed, it says in verse 2. But verse 3, it says, Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. He's telling them that this Jesus he's going to teach them about has a, a lineage. And it was really interesting. Paul did not have, what's that, Ancestry.com? He didn't have it. He knew exactly where Jesus came from. 
He came from, from David, his descendant of David. D did you know the, the Romans loved descendancies? Did you know that they liked, well, that's another thing you can read. And who through the Spirit, capital S, a Holy Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. Whoa. What's he mean? Here these people are who are worshiping these gods that live in darkness, that came to know Jesus Christ. And now he's talking about this divine entity who was a human being. And, and do you all know that, that Romans didn't have a problem with attributing divinity to human beings because their Caesars were all gods? You all knew that, didn't you? And so, and so they, they were, he was transitioning them. He built a bridge from their paganism to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. In power. How does that power occur? Well, the book, the book of Ephesians, the first two chapters, talk about it. All right? This spirit of holiness was appointed to the Son of God by power. That meant that the power of God manifested itself in Jesus Christ. This divine living, holy God gave Jesus Christ power because of the resurrection. Let me share something. When Jesus was on earth before he was crucified, he did what? He forgave people of sins. Remember that? He also healed people. Remember that? He also delivered people from demons. Remember that? He also fed five and 10,000 men. Remember that? But nowhere, nowhere before his death and resurrection does Jesus have power or indicates or uses power over death, which was man's greatest enemy. Oh, he raised people bodily from the dead. You could say that. Remember that? Lazarus and other people. Peter's mother. Remember? He, he did that, but... Not, not spiritual death. In Ephesians, it talks about he placed all things after his resurrection. God the Father placed all things under the feet of Jesus, even the things of the church. Well, what is our church? Our goal, whether you, you want to accept it and whether you like it or not, our ministry is to seek and to save the lost, to overcome the sin and death of mankind. And Jesus Christ was given that authority. So what in the world does that mean? Did you know the 12 disciples and the 120 people in the upper room did not live under that power of resurrection until the Holy Spirit came in the second chapter of the book of Acts? What does that mean? That means when you share the gospel with somebody and you say, Jesus Christ has set me free. Jesus Christ has set me free. Jesus Christ has set me free. 
Would you like to know Jesus as your Savior? Confess your sins and let him be your Lord. When that happens, that power that he's talking about in Romans here, chapter 1, that it was dispensed unto Jesus through his resurrection is given to a person and they are born again with the eternal life of Jesus Christ. Pagans need that, people. Your neighbors and your family members need it. Oh, I want to, can I, you probably know this. So if you know it, you don't have to listen to me. Did you know the eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ does not fade? It is not dependent on how much you know or don't know. It, it is lasting and it's powerful. And it works in spite of us, not because of us. People think that the righteousness of Christ manifests itself by the power of God through what we do and don't do, and that's not true. I can do a lot of good things, but unless I'm unrepentant, they're no good. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, the life of Christ, the power of God does not fade or dim, or wane. Do do you understand what Paul... Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to teach you things of a divine nature, of divine truth that are going to transform your life, and it's going to draw you out of darkness. You know, it doesn't really matter how many people you lead to the Lord. I hope you lead a, a ton, a ton and a half. It doesn't matter how many people you heal. It doesn't matter how many people you heal. It does not matter how many people God uses you to set free. What matters is do you live in the life of Christ? It, do you live in If you are a child of God, they don't know this. See, these are pagans. I'm, I'm going to say something, and don't be mad at me. There are a lot of pagan doctrines that are taught in the church today. And they do not give life. They bring frustration to people. That's, I won't say anything more than that. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through him we receive grace and apostleship So he's saying, because of all of this, I have the grace. In other words, God is allowing me through this role of apostleship to teach Gentiles. Okay, that's what he's saying. And that's why what's going to happen to you is going to happen to you because God the Father's good news was given to the Son and he paid the price and then he was rose again and he called me and I'm going to share with you the same good news from the Father through the Son to me and that's going to change your life because the Father is faithful. That's what he's saying here in this passage of Scripture. And it's all because of his namesake. Why does it revolve around the name of Jesus? The reason it revolves around the name of Jesus is he defeated death. He paid the price for death. That's why he he says it's for his name's sake. 
I didn't know this stuff when I was saved. All I knew was the peace was gone. I mean, the, the peace came in there. And you also are among those Gentiles. So that's you. Emmaus Church in Clark County, where a flood watches on. I'm glad you're all here. I always thought no, nobody come because they said it was flood. The, ra- the road I came on from Living Water was flooded. They didn't get on the road, but it was flooded. You could have gotten a boat and went out there. And... But you're here. God bless you for coming. I'm proud of you. Um, so he says, all of you Gentiles, all of us pagans, We have one lady that I know of in the church that's, uh, that's Jewish in, in heritage. That statement doesn't apply to them. Something else applies to them, which is fine. Love them. Right, Wayne? We love them all. To all in Clark County. Do you see that in your Bible? You're pagans just like us who come to know Christ. Who are loved by God because of Jesus. You're called to be his holy people. See, when your cars, one by one, came into this parking lot and parked in this parking places and you got up and you stepped over the mud and the mud puddles and you walked in here... That's why they call this a church. It's the gathering of saints. And this gathering of sainthood is the holiness of God. And this place, no matter what goes on in these rooms, when we are not there, when we are here, it is a holy place sanctified by the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. So Paul says grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you. That's you. So we're going to, discuss, we're going to talk about uh, sanctification. We're going to talk about all those things that I can't remember because I'm tired of preaching right now. That's okay, we have them off. <laughs> you're God's children. I don't care where you're at spiritually. I don't care what your questions are. I don't, know what, I don't care what your frustrations are. I don't care what your pain is. It does not matter. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are the holiness of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You may do a thousand things wrong in one day, but you're still God's child. He will teach you to repent of those thousand things. He will show you when it needs to be done because you're his children. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to work on it. We're going to... I can't wait to tell you the rest of... uh, 
chapter 1. I don't know if I'll get to it next week, but the next week we're going to talk about God's wrath against sinful humanity. And remember, we're talking about Roman people here. Now, I'm going to ask Caleb's band to come. And while he's coming, I want to share something with you. We, uh, they have asked us, Small Voice Ministry, along with Revealed Ministry, to minister to children in Costa Rica. And they've had some people come down that want to minister deliverance to these children. They've not had good experiences with them. And he shared his concern. And at the end of his concerns, I did a terrible job. Brianna was on the call. I probably did a terrible job. But I said to him, I said, Pastor, Pastor Daniel, and we need to pray for him. Pastor Daniel, I don't need to meet these kids because people had come down and wanted them to repeat all of the trauma they'd been for. Those kids aren't going to be able to do that. They will not be able to do it. No way, shape, or form. It would be damaging for them to do that. And I know that. And I said, Pastor Daniel, that's no problem. I said, God has allowed me to have a gift of discernment. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you later. And and I do not have to meet those kids. I don't need to talk to those kids. I just need to talk to somebody who knows about these profiles of these kids. And I will pray and God will give me a list. And I'm going to tell you what, it won't be long. Because the children's ages are for six months, and nobody knows what a six-month-old's been through. Do you understand that? Except God. Six months old up to 13, and I said, God will show us what we need to stand against, and we will take the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and break it over these children and begin to set them free, and then they will begin to get better. I'm not sure he understood me. I'm not saying he didn't but I'm not sure that he understood me. So you need to pray. Would you pray that Pastor Daniels will allow us to begin ministering? I don't even need to go to Costa Rica. We can do it over Zoom calls with every child. 99 of them that we know, maybe more now. They went and got more. Do you, do you understand? And your prayers can be a part of the authority of Christ to set these children free because of what Jesus can do. Let's stand. Oh, Father God, thank you that we were pagans, but now we are not because of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God, that we were once in darkness, and now we saw the light and were drawn to it. And that we are drawing closer and closer and closer to the light through your teaching edification, moving us slowly in only the time and frame that you know to bring us to the place to be where you want us to be. Praise God for who you are. Help me, Father, to, to teach this. Help me. Help me to be led by your Spirit. And let the Spirit of God take my feeble words and, and let them understand them the way you want them to understand, not the way I want them to understand. In Jesus' name.
Jesus' name.